We're in Psalm 22 today, continuing our series in the Psalms, which I've entitled Transmissions from the Satellite Heart. That comes from an album by one of my favorite bands, The Flaming Lips, but that has nothing to do with the sermon. And I've given it this title because that's what the Psalms are. They are songs, they are prayers that ancient Israel would sing when they gathered together. So they are these transmissions that we send out to God from our satellite hearts. And I say that we have satellite hearts because we are all sinners. And because we are sinners, our hearts are prone to wonder. Just like the song that we sing, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Our hearts often drift away from Jesus. Our satellite hearts drift and we get lost out in space. We're going to feel the ache of the satellite heart in Psalm 22 today because Psalm 22 captures the ache and the pain of what it feels like when God seems distant. When it seems like God is off in orbit somewhere in the universe and our transmissions, our prayers just don't seem to be getting through. Sometimes it feels like God has a satellite heart, if you will, because he's not receiving our prayers, not receiving our transmissions. Now, we know that that is not true. God does not have a satellite heart somewhere out there in space, not hearing us. But sometimes it feels like God is out there somewhere in the universe, floating in orbit, and our prayers and our cries to him, our transmissions just don't seem to be getting through to him. Have you ever felt like that? Like God was far off in space somewhere, and he wasn't receiving your transmissions. Well, that's what Psalm 22 feels like. That's what David feels like in this psalm. But Psalm 22 will tell us that even though we may feel like God is distant, even though we may feel like he is not hearing our prayers, the fact of the matter is that God is not distant, even when it sometimes feels like he is. If you've ever felt like God was not listening to your prayers, then this psalm is for you. If you've ever felt like your prayers came crashing back down to the ground and they never even left the atmosphere, then this psalm is for you. If you've ever felt like God left you, if you've ever felt like God had abandoned you or he has deserted you, then Psalm 22 is for you. And the gift that Psalm 22 has for you is simple. It's Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus was abandoned for you. And because Jesus was abandoned for you on the cross, then God will never abandon you. So Psalm 22 is is the story of David feeling like God has abandoned him, but it also resonates with us because it's our story too. Because we've all been at the place in our lives where David is in this psalm where we feel like God is distant, that he's left us, he's forsaken us, he has abandoned us. This is our story too. But it's also the story of Jesus. 
because he was abandoned by God. It's the story of Jesus, but it's on a deeper level, an unimaginable level that we'll talk about in the moment. This psalm is the story of Jesus being abandoned by his father for sinners like you and me. And so what seeps out of Psalm 22 is this. If God gave his son up for you, he will never give up on you. If God gave his son up for you and he let Jesus die a horrific death for you in your place because of your sin, then that means he will never give up on you. Even though it may seem like he has abandoned you, And that's what you feel, he hasn't abandoned you. Even when it feels like he's not listening, he is listening. If God gave his son up for you, he will not give up on you, even if it feels like he has. God will finish what he started. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished from the cross, he was saying that he loves you and that he will never be finished with you. He will never be finished with you. No matter what you do, he will never be finished with you. No matter how far you run from God, he will never be finished with you. No matter what you are feeling in your heart, he will never be finished with you. It is finished means that God loves you. And if God loved you enough to crush his own son, and if he abandoned Jesus on the cross in order to save you, then he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, even if you don't see God or even if you think he's not listening. He abandoned Jesus for you, so he will never abandon you. He turned his back on Jesus on the cross for you. That means he will never turn his back on you. No matter what you do, no matter how far you run from him, no matter what you're feeling in your heart. So Psalm 22 is as real and as raw as it gets. There's no Christian veneer here. There's no super Christianity. There's no, how you doing? I'm blessed, brother. There's none of that business in this psalm. It's real. It's raw. There's pain. There's doubt. There's questioning here. There's, there's fear. There's sorrow. There's darkness. There's sadness. And there's agony. And so it's no wonder why Jesus quoted this psalm on the cross. It was very purposeful of Jesus to quote Psalm 22 as he hung on the cross and not say Psalm 119. This psalm captures everything that Jesus faced during his life and his death. And it even gives us a glimpse into his future glory. So I think Jesus knew what he was doing when he quoted Psalm 22 on the cross. Jesus' mind was so steeped in scripture, so steeped in God's word, that as he hung on the cross, he understood that Psalm 22 was not merely about David, that it was in fact referring to himself. When Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the penalty of our sin... Psalm 22 was on his mind. Let's read it now, beginning in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my mouth sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. What a difference one psalm makes. Last week we saw in Psalm 21 that David was so confident that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, would answer his prayers and come through for him. But now it's a totally different story in Psalm 22. David feels abandoned by God. David feels like God has deserted him. So one minute David lives by faith. That's Psalm 21. And then the next minute he's in Psalm 22 and his faith is wavering. This is where we all live. As weak and needy disciples, we all live, we all make our beds between Psalm 21 and Psalm 22. We're back and forth 
We're up and down, we're here and there, our faith is all over the map, and standing in contrast to that is the Lord's steadfast love that remains for fickle sinners like us. And so there's this weightiness, there's this heaviness that stands in stark contrast with the enthusiasm of David in Psalm 21. There's a dark cloud that hovers over Psalm 22. And you hear it in David's voice. David is all over the map. His faith is up and down. It's here and there. David's feelings are all over the map. He feels abandoned by God. He feels forsaken. He feels like God is not listening to his prayers. He feels like God is so far away. Let me ask you, have you ever had a dark night of your soul like this? I'm willing to bet that you have. We all have because we're sinners and we live in a fallen, broken world. We're not always on in spite of what we think, even though we all like to come to church and act like we're on, right? We come to church and we act like we have our act together. It's like, I got it on today. Yeah, we're really good at wearing masks and faking people out, aren't we? We're all over the map. If we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we are all over the map. We've all been at that place where we're crying out to God and it just seems like he's not listening. We've all been at that place where our feelings dominate our lives. That place where what we feel carries the day. And that's the problem. Our feelings. Our feelings cannot be trusted. Now, I'm not saying that you should not express your feelings to God. You should. That's faith. Expressing your feelings to God in prayer is faith. Expressing how you feel to God is an act of faith. That's what David is doing in Psalm 22. David hasn't completely emptied his faith tank. David still has some faith. He's running on fumes, but he has faith because he keeps on praying. He says there in verses 1 and 2 that he never stops groaning. He cries out to the Lord day and night. He has no rest because he spends all of his energy seeking God. He spends all of his energies groaning in prayer, even though he just told us that he feels like God has abandoned him. Do you know what that is? That's faith. When you feel like God has abandoned you, but you keep seeking his faith. That's faith. It it may not look like it. It may not be a polished and shiny faith. It may not be a squeaky clean faith, but it's still faith. Faith keeps crying out even when you feel like God is not listening to you. Faith keeps groaning in prayer. Faith keeps on praying even when it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Faith says like the father in Mark 9, 24, I believe, help my unbelief. See, our feelings cannot be trusted. At the end of the day, it is only God's word that we can trust, not our fickle hearts. Listen, we're just not that smart enough to try to figure everything in life out. We all all want to be God, But frankly, every one of us would stink at being God, wouldn't we? Only God and his word can be trusted. Not our hearts, not our feelings. Which is why Welsh pastor Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Oh, the havoc that is wrought and the tragedy 
the misery and the wretchedness. He actually would say it this way with a nice trill. The wretchedness. Oh, the havoc that is wrought and the tragedy, the misery and the wretchedness that are to be found in the world simply because people do not know how to handle their own feelings. When feelings run wild, when your feelings in your heart run wild, they must be kept in check by scripture. I do not want to live in a society where everyone acts on their own feelings. Do you? That would be scary. We cannot rely on what we feel. The only thing we can rely on is God's word. But notice how David recalibrates himself here. He speaks of his sorrow. He speaks of his pain, speaks of his confusion, and then he directs his heart to God. Then David will come back to his situation, his pain, his confusion, his sorrow, and then he will return to God again. So David goes back and forth between describing how bad his situation is, how bad his life is, how bad he is because he's a sinner, and then he will return to God. And it's this pattern of gospel recalibration that sustains David throughout this entire psalm. It's this pattern of yet, but, yet, But in verses 1 through 2, he describes how he feels abandoned by God. And then in verse 3, he says, yet you are holy. And then he talks about his problems. In verse 6, he says, but I am a worm. And then in verse 9, he says, yet you are the one who took me from the womb. And then he describes his problems. And then in verse 19, he comes back and he says, but you, O Lord. So there's this yet, but, yet, but pattern that is indicative of how we get recalibrated with the gospel when we are in a funk. Do you ever get in a funk, a spiritual funk? You don't want to read the Bible, you don't want to pray, you don't want to do anything, you just want to give up on life. Anybody ever live there? That's where I live. So yes, express your feelings to God. Tell God how you feel. Tell God what's going on in your heart, but then you get recalibrated by remembering who God is. David desperately needs gospel recalibration again because he has been listening to the voices in his head and he's been listening to the voices of his enemies. And in verse eight, he says they've been taunting him. So what does he do? He reminds himself of who God is. Sometimes you gotta say to yourself, yet, but, yet, but. This is normal Christianity. This is where normal Christianity lives, right in between Psalm 21 and Psalm 22. Between the confidence of Psalm 21 and the wavering faith of Psalm 22. Yet, but, yet, but. Sometimes you gotta say what Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Sometimes you gotta look in the mirror and say to the reflection, if God gave his son up for you, he will never give up on you. See, our hearts and our feelings are fickle. They're all over the place, which is why we need to hear the gospel over and over again. If God gave his son up for you and he let Jesus die a horrific death for you, then he will never, ever give up on you. Even though it may seem like he has abandoned you, he has not, even though it may seem like he's not listening to you, he is. If God gave his son up for you, he will never give up on you, even if it feels like 
he has. God will finish what he started. When Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, he was saying that he loves you and he will never be finished with you. No matter what you do, Jesus will never be finished with you. No matter how far you run from him, he will never be finished with you because grace is faster than you. No matter what you're feeling in your heart, Jesus will never be finished with you. It is finished means that God loves you. And if he loved you enough to crush his son, and if he abandoned Jesus in order to save you, then he will never leave you or forsake you. Even if you don't see God or even if you think he's not listening. He abandoned Jesus for you so he will never abandon you. He turned his back on his son on the cross so he will never turn his back on you. He cut Jesus off on the cross so he will never cut you off. No matter what you do, no matter how far you run, no matter what you're feeling in your heart, God will never be finished with you. But this does not mean that we deny the reality of our pain David has trouble in this psalm. It's near. He is surrounded by enemies that he describes in verses 12, 13, and 16 as bulls, as lions, as dogs. They want to eat him alive, he says. I'm surprised he didn't refer to them as zombies. I guess there weren't zombie movies. The Walking Dead wasn't around in David's day. But if David were writing this psalm today, I'm sure he'd add zombies to this list because these people want to devour him. And on top of that, he says in verses 14 and 15 that he is wasting away physically. His pain and sorrow are taking a toll on his body. He needs God to answer him or he's going to get rushed to the hospital. And in spite of all the pain and the stress, David keeps coming back to God. He gets recalibrated again and again. He keeps coming back to God. That's faith. It's this pattern of gospel recalibration that sustains him. David doesn't deny his questions. He doesn't deny his confusion. He doesn't deny his pain. He doesn't deny his struggle. He doesn't deny what he's feeling in his heart. He certainly doesn't just try to slap a Bible verse on it and then pretend that his pain will go away. He's real. He's Raw, and he tells God exactly how he feels, and then he reminds himself of who God is. David is honest about himself, honest about his own heart, and he's honest about who God is and how God works. May I suggest that you follow this pattern? Tell God exactly how you're feeling. Dump it all out on the table. Have a good cry session. Tell him your fears. Tell him your worries. Tell him your hurts. That's faith. Faith is being real with God about the condition of your heart. Faith is being real with God about the condition of your heart. Sadly, too many Christians think that faith looks like this when you pray. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are all wise and all knowing. You reign supreme, and I believe your promise that you work all things together for our good, and so I rest on that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. That's not a bad prayer to pray, but come on. If you're hurting, pour your heart out and then end your prayer that way without the little pompous accent. 
Faith just dumps all the pain. Faith just dumps all the ugliness. Faith just dumps all the doubt and the worry and the confusion out before the Lord. And it says this, have you seen this, God? Have you seen what's going on in my life? Let me show you them one by one. Here's all my junk. Here's all my troubles. Help. Please intervene because I don't think I'm going to make it. That is faith. You just tell God what's going on in your heart, and then you tell your heart who God is. You pray like this, God, back and forth. God, I'm overwhelmed. I feel like you're not even listening to me. Are you there? Please intervene. Please do something. I'm overwhelmed. But you are in control. I know that. You are wise and I know you're working behind the scenes in ways that I cannot even see. You are faithful. You've never let go. But I feel like you have let me go right now. I feel like you've walked away. I cannot see you. Are you even listening? Why have you forsaken me? I feel all alone. The pain and the stress is too much. Yet I know that you love me. I know you are working for my good and my joy. I know this will turn out for your glory. That's faith. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's who you are. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's who you are. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's who you are. That's Psalm 22 in a nutshell. That's what David is showing us. And we know that God did not abandon David because of what he says in verses 22 to 24. Look there with me. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So yes, David's feelings are all over the map, but in the end, he says that God did not abandon him. And your feelings are going to come and go because you are a broken sinner just like David. Only God's word is reliable. At the end of the day, it's God's word that we can trust, not our fickle hearts. Only God and his word can be trusted. Not our hearts, not our feelings. And it's God's word that Jesus was clinging to as he hung on the cross. At the darkest moment of his life, Jesus was clinging to the word of God. At the darkest moment of his life, Jesus was thinking about one of the darkest psalms. He had Psalm 22 on his mind because his father was abandoning him. And so Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus quoted Psalm 22 verse 1 when he was on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We cannot even begin to understand all that is happening here. In fact, Scripture itself draws a veil over what transpired there at that moment on the cross when Jesus recites Psalm 22, when God the Father was abandoning his son because he was taking on the sins of his elect people. We can't even begin to understand it. In this moment, Jesus is literally God-forsaken. As he bore the sins of those he would redeem, God the Father turned away from his son and then unleashed 
his holy wrath out upon the one that he loved with all of his heart. Jesus' physical pain was but a feeble picture of the agony that he experienced. The physical pain of crucifixion was awful, but that pales in comparison to him receiving the full brunt of God's wrath because of our sin. He suffered a real forsakenness by his father. His soul was in torment. He was utterly abandoned by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God abandoned his son for our sin. God ignored the cries of his son for our sin. God poured out his wrath on his own son for our sin. Our sin caused his suffering. He suffered for our sins so that we would be saved. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Richard Allen Bodie says that nowhere in the Bible do we encounter any mystery that so staggers the mind and shocks the Christian consciousness as this tortured cry from the lips of our dying Savior. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand what is happening here. Jesus is not questioning his father as to why he is being forsaken. He knows this is the eternal plan of God, that he would bear the penalty for our sin. He knows that. What he's doing is he's quoting Psalm 22, and then he's fulfilling it. It's Jesus who lived in closest fellowship with the father in this moment. It's Jesus who's being abandoned by his father. Now, we don't know fully in what sense that happened. It is beyond us. We can't even begin to understand it in its fullest, but we know that Jesus was indeed abandoned by his Father as he died as a substitute for our sins. R.C. Sproul described this scene of Jesus bearing the sins of the world as the most grotesque display of ugliness imaginable. The most grotesque display of ugliness imaginable. So you and I cannot even begin to imagine the horror that Jesus felt as the sin of humanity was placed on him, as the sins that you indulged in all week long were placed on him. We cannot imagine the horror that he was experiencing. We cannot imagine the horror that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit felt as they looked upon Jesus bearing our sins and then they had to turn away We cannot even begin to understand the pain that Jesus felt as he was abandoned. In this moment, he was forsaken by God the Father. He was damned for all the damnable things that we do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? R.C. Sproul says, this cry represents the most agonizing protest ever uttered on this planet. It burst forth in a moment of unparalleled pain. It is the scream of the damned for us. Why does Jesus scream the scream of the damned? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus scream the scream of the damned from the cross so that you and I will never have to? 
so that we will never have to say that to God. He was damned by God for your sins so that you would not be damned to hell forever. He cried out in agony so that you and I will never have to. He was abandoned by God so that we would never be abandoned by God. He was cut off by God the Father so that you and I will never be cut off. Will you repent of your sins and believe this good news today? When Jesus died, the violent, bloody death on the cross, he demonstrated incomprehensible love for sinners like us. This kind of love you and I will never fully understand, never fully be able to comprehend his love for you and I and his love for God the Father and his love for the Holy Spirit, that's what prompted him. It wasn't the nails that kept him to the cross. We know that. It was his passion to do the will of God the Father and it was his overwhelmingly steadfast, unbelievable love for sinners like you and me that held him to the tree. And what a moment it was. Because the gospel writers tell us that even the sky responded. Three hours of darkness. And in that moment on the cross, Jesus was drinking the cup of wrath that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. Jesus took the cup of God's foaming wrath that was destined for each one of us to drink for eternity. And in that moment, he drank that cup to the very bottom. Every last drop of God's anger against you and your sin, Jesus drank it on the cross. He was experiencing and exhausting the full fury of the intense, righteous wrath of God for sinners like you and me. Jerry Bridges says, however, as we contemplate with wonder Christ being made sin for us, we must always keep in mind the distinction between Christ's sinlessness in his personal being and his sin-bearing in his official liability to God's wrath. He was the sinless sin-bearer. Though he was officially guilty as our representative, he was personally the object of the Father's everlasting love and delight. Even as Jesus hung on the cross, bearing our sins and enduring the full fury of God's wrath, he was at the same time the object of his Father's infinite, eternal love. Should this not make us bow in adoration at such matchless love that the Father would subject the object of his supreme delight to his unmitigated wrath for our sake? Shouldn't we bow down in adoration at this matchless love that Jesus demonstrated for us, the, the subject of God's supreme delight, his son would become the object of his unmitigated wrath and, and that he would do it for us, rebels, lawbreakers, sinners. What wonderful love our Savior has shown he came down to us. He entered our pain. He entered our misery. He entered our broken world to bring us to God. He entered the darkness of our lives to bring us out of that darkness. He entered into the darkness of Psalm 22 to bring us out of that darkness. He did not get a pass on suffering. He was not given immunity to suffering. No, he came and he was made just like us. Sin only accepted so that he could be made to be sin, so that we would become the righteousness of God. And then, 
He cried out his final words from the cross. It is finished. John 19.30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He finished the work that he came to do. To live a perfect life in complete obedience to God and then to take the curse of the law upon himself for sinners like us. That's, that's the gospel. That's his active and passive obedience. His active obedience was obeying the law completely. His passive obedience, his passion was laying down his life for sinners like us. And then he said, it is finished. I've completed the work that my father sent me to do. And then he bowed his head, John said, and died. And he did that so that we might cry out, it is finished, and have our guilty heads lifted and live. He cried out, it is finished, and then bowed his head and died. And because of his death, we, and because of his life, we can cry out to our guilty hearts when they want to condemn us. Then we can cry out, it is finished, and have our guilty heads lifted, and we can live. You might want to get used to saying those words, it is finished. Because you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor and to earn his love. Because Jesus paid it all. It is Finished, And that's exactly how David ends Psalm 22. He tells us that it is finished. Look at Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. So Psalm 22 ends with the Old Testament version of it is finished. Verse 31 is telling us that the gospel will go forth to the nations and they will testify to the fact that Yahweh has accomplished it, that God has finished it, that God has completed it. In other words, that Jesus has accomplished redemption for us, that he has done it, that he has finished it, that he accomplished the redemption of his people. So what Psalm 22 verse 31 does is it cries out, it is finished, He has done it. It is finished. And then Jesus took these words and he made them his own on the cross. And he cried out, it is finished, fulfilling Psalm 22. And if it is finished, then this must be true. If God gave his son up for you, he will never give up on you. Yes, our hearts and our feelings are fickle, which is why we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. If God gave his son up for you and let him die a horrific death for you, then he will never give up on you. Even though it seems like he has abandoned you, he hasn't. Even though it seems like he may not be listening, he is. If he gave his son up for you, he will not give up on you even when it feels like he has. God will finish what he started. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, he was saying that he loves you and that he will never be finished with you. No matter what you do, Jesus will never be finished with you. No matter how far you run from him, Jesus will never be finished with you. No matter what you're feeling in your heart, Jesus will never be finished with you. It is finished means that God loves you. 
And if God loved you enough to crush his own son, and if he abandoned Jesus in order to save you, then that means he will never leave you or forsake you. Even if you don't see God, or even if you, don't, even if you think he's not listening, he abandoned Jesus for you, so he will never abandon you. He turned his back on Jesus for you, so he'll never turn his back on you, no matter what you do, no matter how far you run, no matter what you're feeling in your heart. The good news of the gospel is this. Christian, you have a loving father who cares too much about you to send his son to die for you and then to not take care of you afterwards. Christian, you have a loving father who cares so much about you that he would send his own son to die for you, but then who also will keep caring for you afterwards. Will you believe it today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for sinners like us. We cannot even begin to comprehend what it means that you made your son sin for us. God, we know the guilt and the shame of our own sins and how awful we feel and how we want to run from that. What must it have been like for the sinless son of God to take those sins upon himself and not only feel the weight of the guilt and shame, but then to be hit hard with the holy righteous wrath of God. Unbelievable, incomprehensible, matchless love of your son for us, God. We are overwhelmed. Oh, to see the day, God, as he laid his life down for sinners like us. Make us believe it today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.